So there I was, thinking it was a beautiful day in Southern California. We're out in the 22 area, just getting ready to step off on a hike. It's just going to be a little conditioning hike, just for fun, going around, uh, getting ready for the big one, all right? So like any hike, we, we step off, and we get about 15, 20 minutes into it, drop our gear just to make any final adjustments, kind of just get things gauged, and then we step off for the real deal. So getting in about it, about a half hour or so, you know, the first thing that usually goes with me is uh, the shoulders. And that's, that's not saying that, you know, my shoulders are going to give up. It's just the thing that starts feeling uncomfortable the most, which starts kind of playing with your your mind again. It's like, hey, we got to just keep sucking up this this uncomfortable type situation until we get there. Because one, we can't show that we're weak and we got to finish strong with everybody else. So we make it through and, you know, like I'm like, hey, you know, this is probably the worst it's going to get. You know, I'll be good with that. Well, it turns out, like anything else in life, it does get worse. And out of the five days that it rains in Southern California, that day was the day. So it starts raining pretty good on us, uh, creating some mud and all that other good stuff. So, of course, most of the Marines are kind of walking around a little bit more gingerly around the mud piles or the mud puddles because they don't want to get wet. They don't want to get their boots dirty. That way they don't have to clean all that stuff later on and, you know, do that portion of it. But we start getting towards the end of it. And of course, like anything else, there's one road that takes us to the short way to get to the actual road that we go or the long way that takes us around the whole area. But the short way, one thing that's in there is a big rutted up pit that's uh, full of water and full of mud. So, of course, we don't want to do the extra little bit. So we just say screw it and start going through this mud puddle. You know, it turns out Marines really like to get dirty and like to do nasty things. Like getting there and start splashing water on all their dudes, you know, slipping all over the place, catching people, getting back up. And then they come out there muddied up, ready to go for the rest of it, feeling like they got a little bit of, uh, got something accomplished for the day. And that's kind of where I want to go with this whole uh, episode of Embracing the Suck is sometimes when you avoid it from the beginning, it doesn't always prepare you because eventually it's going to get worse. And when it does get worse, you want to make sure that you're prepared up here as much as you are anything else. And that's where this episode begins on the Little Yellow Birdie podcast with your boy Cody Waters. It's a new day and a new way. Don't let the past control the past that's here today. No more problem. Need more solutions. So every Marine's journey through the suck always begins on the yellow footprints at either San Diego or Paris Island, where they'll go through three months of just getting hazed and getting messed with and, you know, eating three hots a day and sleeping a little bit at night in between fire watches and all the other weird stuff that we have to do. But one thing that it does do is it gets you out of like the mindset of being an individual in the civilian sector and really giving you that team type concept that's going to help you throughout your career to be successful and to help other people in the Marine Corps be successful and ultimately making the nation successful when we go to war with whatever enemy that we have at that time. So when it comes down to it, there are certain ways that the drill instructors 
mess with your brain that make it so that you start having a little doubt, you start having a little bit of of uh, questioning on like what your purpose is there and what you're going to be doing and whether or not it's going to be worth it. And that way it kind of like drives out the weak people that aren't going to be able to necessarily be successful in the Marine Corps. And it starts driving people to be a little bit more resilient mentally so that way they can deal with the different things that they're going to have to deal with in their career. One of the things that seems like it's pointless uh that I was, it, it kind of stuck with me, and I kind of remember from time to time on how bad it really did suck, uh, was was getting waterboy teeth. Now, if you've never heard of this concept before, it's really simple, and I can explain it in about five seconds. You chug water over and over again until you throw up. And then once you get done doing that, you drink some more water. Now, it seems like it's like, hey, man, that kind of seems messed up. Why the heck would the drill instructors do that? And, you know, maybe some of them are seductive and, you know, they just hate recruits and they just want to friggin' thrash you and, and make you just hate your life as much as possible. Well, for me, it was kind of like that one part in boot camp where I was, like, kind of challenged mentally as far as, like, whether or not I wanted to be a part of something that does this. Because in... in in life, I you know grew up as a football player where you know you constantly are wrong and your coach is always yelling at you and always you know making you do things over and over again, and and those concepts are pretty consistent in the Marine Corps. But when it came down to this water boy tea, it's like man, we're just chugging water, water over and over again, and it's like no matter what we do, somebody's going to do something wrong or something that the drill instructor doesn't like that we're going to have to go and refill our water bowl up. Just to go. And of course, once you drink enough of them, somebody's going to throw up. And they know that. They know that somebody's going to throw up and it's going to give them more ammunition to have do that. And they're, you know, it's probably illegal for those individuals to do it. And I think we're past the statute of limitation form. And that's why I'm kind of bringing it to light. Um, but for the most part, you know, those individuals go out there and they, they, they do these things that, that eventually, if you, if you do it the right way and you take it the right way, it starts building resilience because, you know, if you can make it through certain things like chugging water and all over, over and again, and, you know, you weren't one of the dudes that, you know, peed their pants or or threw up all over the place that, you know, you're 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 strong and you're good to go. You know what I mean? So those are one of the things that kind of stuck with me in there. Uh, another instant where I was like, what the hell happened and why is this happening to us is, you know, we're out there doing our training, drill, PT. I can't remember exactly what it was. All I remember is that we came back to our squad bay and it was completely demolished. The drill instructors let one of the other platoons go into the to the squad bay and just completely annihilate everything. Racks were tipped upside down, mattresses all over the place, bed sheets were all over the place. I'm glad that the footlockers didn't like bust into a million pieces and have all the stuff all over the place. But they even got into what we call the whiskey locker where they keep all the, the cleaning supplies and everything along that line. And, you know, they spilt all the laundry detergent and everything all over the place. And they, they essentially did this. I don't want to say as a punishment, but I think that one concept that I learned out of it is throughout life, you're always going to come up to situations where you're going to feel defeated. Where you feel like no matter what you do, no matter how well that you, you do in certain things, 
that in some cases you're just never going to succeed. And that's happened a couple times. I'll probably discuss one or two of them uh, later on in this episode. But that was kind of like the initiation. Like, hey, we're out here freaking working our ass off for these drill instructors. And what they do to us is they get another per- group of people to come in here and, and mess our stuff up. You know, this is our place where we live. Our only place where we, you know, have a little bit of comfort. Because uh, you're always on your feet, always walking around doing stuff. And just constantly training and doing stuff. So it's like the only comfort that we really have out of this whole place for three months. And you just let some other people come in there and destroy it. So essentially what it comes down to is is you have to start learning how to turn on that positive mental attitude. Because things are going to get tough inside your life. You're going to come up to those points where you're going to feel defeated. Where you're not going to be successful no matter what you do. But the one thing that you need to understand is it's not a permanent thing. Eventually, it's going to get over. Eventually, you're going to get through that individual situation and you're going to be successful as long as you do the right thing for the right reason and you you take care of the people that are around you. And if you do those simple things and keep positive mental attitude during some of these hardships, it turns out a lot better for you in the long run. You don't have any of that resentment or anything along that line that starts really forming a, a a pit for your life. It's like uh Pastor Rick Warren used to say, if you if you resent something, it's like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. That's all that's gonna happen. So you just gotta keep that positive mental attitude and really focus on on what you're gonna do once you get through this thing. Because eventually it's gonna end and eventually you're gonna be successful. Now, there's plenty of ways that you can have that positive attitude. One of it is just through team effort. One of them's through uh, depending on other people. And and another one is just having that positive attitude no matter what. Now, there's there's different ways that I've had a positive attitude. I know for me, for like the third phase of it, you start getting to the point where you feel like you're on like a downhill slope. You've, you've pretty much accomplish most of what you need to do. You only have a couple things like the Reaper hike and if you go to the West Coast where you uh it's like our last little effects that you do before you actually uh before you get your new globe and anchor and, and get ready for graduation. You know, we we made it through that portion of it. We're starting to have that downhill slope. So me I'm just a you know a fat kid at heart. So the only thing I think about while I'm at two o'clock in the in, on a fire watch is building a grocery list on what I'm going to get and what I'm going to eat afterwards. And it was some stupid shit. It was anything from like Lucky Charm cereal to, to yellow cake that I had at the chow hall that I thought I really liked. But really it's just because I was starved and it just tastes really good because of that. Um, and just all kinds of different aspects of it. But having something to look forward to, for me it was food. Uh, for some people it's it's loved ones. For other people, it's 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 uh you know booze and and whatever you know what I mean. It just all kind of goes based off of what your individual's perspective is. For me, at that point, it was my family and and being able to see them again, and then you know maybe getting some hot wings or something while I'm out there. So that was essentially how I started dealing with these different negative situations is by looking past them to 
what I'm going to do once I get through it because I know that it's not going to be a permanent solution or it's not going to be a permanent thing in my life. And keeping that positive mental attitude will definitely help you with building resiliency. Now, a couple ways that that you know you build resiliency is by building stress. Now we we're in a formation the other day, and some marine, uh, actually it was the CEO that was sitting there saying, "Hey, what are some things that you deal with that are stressors in your life? What what are things that that can be done to lessen the stress in your life?" And there's one marine that had the audacity to raise his hand and say, "Less day to day stressors in our life, sir." And you know, like me in the back, because I'm you know one of the old dudes, so I'm like, "Hey." I was like, eh, wrong, you know, like that's that's what you need because those are the things that are going to help you be, become resilient. This friggin' mundane admin job that you do right now is not going to be your life. Ask Corey Van Cleef. He was a 0111 that was out there in Helmand Province with us, and this dude was sitting there friggin' going on security patrols. He was getting shot at in convoys. He was doing infantry type things as a, as an admin dude. So if you're sitting there wanting less day-to-day stressors. What's going to happen when you have that major stressor that, like, the enemy trying to kill you? You know, so that's that's what the point that I'm going to get in this next segment of it is building resiliency through continuums of adjusted stress. All right? I'm not going to say, like, drill instructor stress all the time nonstop because that's how you wear people down and you start making them not want to be a part of it anymore. But giving people missions that are outside their comfort zone, putting people in uncomfortable situations like talking in front of a group of people, all these things start building towards that resiliency that's going to make you more effective in the long run. And it's it's not necessarily in the Marine Corps. It's going to be a life in general. You ask any Marine that gets out of the Marine Corps on whether or not their confidence level when dealing with different types of situations is 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 more or less than their civilian counterpart. They're going to be a lot more confident when they go into these things. And a lot of that is because we deal with a lot of these high stress type situations while we're in the Marine Corps. Now, a couple examples for me is in 29 Palms, you are constantly in the field. And when I say constantly, I'm not exaggerating at all. It seems as like you, you spend two or three weeks out of the field and that whole two, three weeks, you're you're getting to work when the sun is, da- uh, uh, sound of the sun is down. And then you get off of work when the sun has already set it. You know what I mean? So it's like, hey, sunrise, the sunset, you're at work. And what you're doing at work is you're planning for the next field op. You're putting all these range requests in. You're doing all these ORMs. You're doing all these logistical things. And you're doing a lot of the prep work for that. Just say you can go out to the field for a couple weeks, a month, however long that it's built for. And then for you to go through it and in that aspect of it. So while I'm out there doing that, you know, I'm. With my wife, we were boyfriend and girlfriend kind of thing and fiance uh, for a little bit, for, for probably about a year or so of my time out there. And having like that with the new marriage, because we ended up getting married while we were out there, you know, it starts building some of those different stressor type things in there. Like you're never around. So why I'm not around, what is she doing when I'm not around? Or why... They're there. They have to. Why they're by themselves? They have to deal with all that stuff that usually two people have to work on all by themselves. So it's all these different things that go along with it. But as you're doing those things, you start building a lot more resiliency because 
you know that you could always make it through these aspects of it. Through communication, building that trust, building that relationship. So nowadays when I go on deployments or anything along that line, you know, my wife isn't going to not complain because, you know, that's who wouldn't complain if you're having to do deal with two kids on your own and go to work full time and all these other type things and try to work out and stay healthy and cook food. You know, like it's just a lot to ask for of one person. Um, but over that time frame, she's built a lot of resiliency through all the different repetitions that we've gone through. And it wasn't because we avoided it. It's just because we went with the flow. We, we we knew that there was a mission at hand that I had to deal with, and she had a mission at home that she had to deal with, and she, you know, mastered it successfully. She's been a full-time uh, career-type-oriented person, you know, had two kids, been a full-time, or not a full-time mom, but just been a mother, a great mother for them, and then done that part. And then on my end of the spectrum, you know, we go out to the field all the time, and, and you start dipping finding different ways that you start, uh, I don't want to say come to acceptance, but you know that the stuff is going to happen. You know you're going to be out there in the middle of a training area. It's going to be 120 degrees. You're going to have, you know, constant movements that are going on. And the division side of the house, when you're out in the field and it's any time of the day, you're wearing your flak and Kevlar. So, I mean, you got all these different factors that really build onto that sucky type situation. And one, keep that positive mental attitude but you know that it's not going it, to, or it's, this is not going to be a permanent thing in your life, and that eventually it's going to go through. But when it, when you, when you look back at these these shitty situations, you start really understanding, like, hey, one, I did those things with other people, and those other people helped me, you know, make things a lot less shitty. And on top of that, we we dealt with those things together, and we became successful together. And, you know, doing anything as far as, uh, you know, digging fight holes and doing all those shitty things that they go along with it, to even playing spades at night when everybody's, you know, in a bivouac status. You know, you got Jonathan Odago, and we're hanging out, and he's, you know, has a chem light in his mouth, and he's sitting there frigging trying to see his cards. He bit on the chem light a little bit too too hard, and it, and it exploded all over his face, and it looked like the predator got a hold of him, if you know what I mean. Uh, so, you know, you got this dude with his glowing ass face because he just had a chem light float on him. And I don't know if you know this about chem lights, but they give you a pretty big headache too. If you, if you get some of that stuff in your mouth. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend for you to do that type of thing. But I mean, just having stories like that with the people that you, that you share that time with is always definitely a positive thing. Uh, another thing that kind of helps building resiliency, uh, is, is, Understanding that things have a purpose and that when you're doing these things and they're they're not the most entertaining, they're not most desirable things, that you could always find a way to make them a little bit more fun. Like in the Marine Corps, we do the sea bag shuffle. And then you get all like the lower enlisted and even the senior enlisted dudes kind of get into it, maybe some of the officers. Uh, but whenever you get to and from different places and you have all these sea bags and main packs and all these things that need to get offloaded in a one offloaded on a truck or unloaded onto a truck, you get a, a a human centipede of all these different marines or sailors or or soldiers or whatever, and you just have like this chain game where you're just handing you know sea bags. And of course, it starts off serious because you just want to get the mission done. You want to get it done. Uh, but after a little while, people start, you know, 
thinking that they want to be funny. And then they start, you know, tossing the dang sea bag like halfway across the thing. They start, you know, doing weird shit in a sense to, you know, either make somebody else have to do a little bit extra work or just to mess with people or to try to create a laugh, you know. I think that's really where it comes down to is trying to make it a little bit more entertaining. And there's one ex uh, example that I want to cover is, you know, we're out in outside Iraq. And when I was there with uh, Mag-16, one of our, our primary object or one, one of our things that we were responsible for was to make sure that we had our, you know, mop suits and everything packed out for all the different units that were at LSI. And in order to do that, we had to get sizing charts for each one of the different units on what size mop suits they needed. And then we had to take, you know, mop suits of from one place that had there to another place to load up these these containers that have a different variation of mop suits that'll be suitable for their individual unit. So part of that is really, really I mean it's a pretty big task. It took us a while to really go through that. And I don't know if you know this about Seabird Marines, uh, but we were pretty smart. Um I'm not just trying to toot my own horn, but we always try to figure out like the best way to do certain things. And, you know, we always, you know, take control of it. And even with, you know, GT score of 115 and above, which is supposed to be, you know, a display of intelligence. I think what we depend the most on is, you know, the spectrum of the autism spectrum that we're on. You know, we have that way of thinking outside the box that a lot of people don't really go through. And that's why. You know, we always joke around with each other that every single Seaburn Marine's on the spectrum of some at some point. Um, so we end up doing like the the mop suit shuffle, like we do with those sea bags. We're sitting there just tossing them and this and that, but we don't have necessarily you know a whole unit worth of Marines to to work with us. So you know, we're like doing John Elway's. We're doing you know, uh, we're having to throw it a little bit further and do that. But one way that we always do it is we always try to add to the speed of it you know like we we always add some type of element about it that makes it more competitive or that'll make it seem a little bit more interesting like hey let's load this container up a little bit faster hey let's do uh, a different thing this way hey we got this one that's way on the other side what's the best way to do it? hey should we load it all up we do it doesn't work you know all those types of things kind of build into that resiliency because you know that you're going to get missions in the marine corps and it's up to you to try to figure out the best way to do it. And part of that is by going through the motion and doing that. Now, once you get that figured out, now you got to find a way to, to deal with it without having people friggin' hate their lives the whole time. And the part of that that we came up with is coming up with different games, different ways of accomplishing the mission. That's not going to make it seem so mundane. It's going to be different every single time. And it's going to allow us to kind of See which way is the most uh, efficient in the way. You know what I mean? So that's essentially what, what goes on with that portion of it. Now, things aren't always just fun and games. Sometimes things really get real. And th sometimes you get into positions where, you, like in boot camp, where you just you feel like you're defeated. Like, you don't feel like you really did anything wrong, but you're still in the wrong no matter what. And part of that is when I was in Afghanistan as a sergeant of the guard, the SOG. And while I was out there, you know, it's, we were already out there for like three months already. And we took over all these new positions. So I was fairly new at doing the sergeant of the guard. Didn't really know what the expectations were for it. I just kind of like was going along with the, you know, the program and trying to just learn as I go. 
Uh, well, we just got done doing guard mountain. For those that don't know, that don't know what guard mount is, it's where you take all the sentries that are going off and on post. You debrief the ones that are coming off post, and you brief the ones that are going on post, and you change out the guards for the different posts. So once we got done with guard mount, it was the end of my shift, and I was like, hey, you know what? I'm I'm done. I'm taking the you know heading off to the rack. Well, it turns out one of the the corporals that were one of the post standards wants to leave their weapon behind while they go and take a nap or while they go to sleep. And there's a uh, staff sergeant Eddie. He ends up you know finding the weapon. He's like, hey, whose weapon is this? So it's Corporal East, this and that. Well, it turns out when I show up to work the next day or show up to my ship the next day, staff sergeant Eddie's like pissed off at me and he's like, hey, this fucking marine. Left his rifle here, and it's your fault. And because that, you're going to be standing post, and you're not the SOG anymore. So at that point, I'm like, what the fuck did I really do, man? Did I really do that bad of a job where I, you know, this and that? And I don't think that it's necessarily that he's seen. I think he's seen a level of complacency from me particularly uh, where I wasn't necessarily taking. I was just treating it like a job. And I wasn't taking it to the extreme and being serious because, you know, the, the, the securities element of it is responsible for everybody's safety on that firebase. So all the, the forward operating bases, firebases, whatever you want to call it, you know, everybody sleeps comfortably at night. And, and I want to say comfortable, as comfortable as they probably can. And knowing that some enemy is not going to sneak up onto them and slit their throat because of those guys that are on those posts. And, because I don't think that he's seen that 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 aspect from me. I think that was kind of one of the driving forces. Now, at that point, I could have made two choices. I could have just said, hey, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to be a post standard. I'm going to sit out here and shoot the shit with this freaking private because he got in trouble because he freaking fell asleep on post or whatever. And just, you know, hang out and live my best life. Or I could have just done what was expected of me. So at that point, I didn't get into that defeated mindset. I was like, you know what, kind of pissed off that this happened to me because somebody else did it, but it happened nonetheless, so what am I going to do to be able to rectify this? Now, for me, I didn't let any of the COGs or SOGs take that position. I would stand my post, and then after I'd get done with the post, I started doing simple things like building my own EDL inside my equipment distribution list, my where it has all the serialized gear and everything by name in my notebook. That way, whenever I get done getting on and off post, I'll sit there and verify all the different serial numbers from every single Marine. I'd make sure that I was the last person that left out of that position to make sure everybody had their own stuff. And making sure that everybody understood that if they fuck something up, then I was going to eat their lunch. And, you know, doing that for about a week and a half, it really showed, well, I'm assuming it showed Staff Sarnetti that, you know, I was able to retain my position as an SOG. And that's when I took that back over and then held on to that position until we we, we did our uh, rip toe with the with the unit that took over for us and then moved on back to 29 Palms. So essentially what I'm getting at with that is resiliency in this case and being resilient wasn't because I'm naturally built 
to just be a resilient person and bounce back from, you know, getting fired from a position. It was me going through steps beforehand and being stressed out in other positions in my life and, and using those things to drive forward and to not be defeated. Because whenever you do get defeated, you either have the chance to bounce back and be successful or to let that define you for the rest of your life. And I'm never going to let something that's outside my, my control ever affect how I'm going to be successful in life. And that's essentially what being resilient is, is, is going and taking some of those, those L's that a lot of people say nowadays and then using those as motivation to be successful and to dominate different aspects of your life and to become successful. And sometimes people aren't going to necessarily see your potential and they'll, they'll judge you based off of how they perceive you, no matter what you think about yourself. And you got to understand, like, you got to be some, you got to have some type of humility, like, hey, maybe they're not just being a shithead. Maybe they just don't see it. And in order for them to see it is you have to demonstrate it. And if you ever get put into that position where you, where you don't end up getting what you want, you end up getting something taken away from you, you end up getting fired from a position, you know, you, you have that position or you had that opportunity to show your resiliency and to show the people what you're about and to show that you are dependable and that you can do the job. And that's essentially what I want to cover with that being resilient is is doing that. But even more so is resiliency just doesn't start at one individual point in your life. It's a it's a conglomerate of all these things that build up because you constantly put yourself in uncomfortable positions and you start building that stress over and over again to the point where you get into like a heavily stressed type situation, like getting fired and standing on post like you're some private as a sergeant, to really understanding like, hey, that's not going to be me. I'm going to freaking get out of this by, by showing hard work and dedication to the cause and to showing these individuals that I'm going to be successful no matter what they think about. And that's a point that I want to cover for that. Now, it may seem like this positive mental attitude and embracing the suck and all this other type thing is, is an individual individualistic type effort. And it's really not. The thing that's really going to make you successful is understanding that you have people around you that may not want you to be, you know, more successful than them, but they don't want you to be unsuccessful as well. Because in a lot of ways, you all can be successful together and make everything even better. Like a lot of the staff and CEOs that I had over in Supply Battalion and even in CLR 17 and, and further on is a lot of the staff and CEOs have a lot of conversations about their Marines to each other to really get different perspectives on different things and, and really try to deal with certain types of situations, whether it's a personal type thing or a work-related thing. You know, a lot of the staff and CEOs uh, really hone in on each other to really uh, understand the situation and, and figure out different ways to, to, to deal with it. Like when I was at supply battalion, you know, I can't really say I really had a lot of bad Marines in my, in my time frame, but there are some Marines that really try to game the game and they really, they think that they're smarter than every single person around them. And because they're smarter that they could do whatever the hell they want. And, you know, there's a there's an NCO corporal that was over at Supply Battalion and this individual 
you know, thought that he could just do whatever he wanted and show up to work whenever he wanted. And I was a staff sergeant at the time, so I'm like, all right, well, why are you not where you're supposed to be, this and that? And, of course, they gave you some type of BS excuse. And then the thing that really struck a nerve with me is this individual had the audacity to say, is I think that you're singling me out and you're 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 really trying to pick on me because you don't like me. And I'm gonna, you know, report you up to hire because of that. And I'm like, you're the one that's not doing the right thing and you're trying to get out of this by saying that somebody's picking on you because they're correcting you on your actions. You know, and that's one of those things where it's like, hey, now it starts driving into another thing. And the thing that it drives into for me at least is is an unfamiliar type thing that I've never had to deal with before. I never had to deal with a Marine that just falsely accused you of doing something because they wanted to control the situation. So that's when I reached out to my buddy Goringer and then Keith Hudson and and you know a couple other dudes that I knew about there. And you know, we'd sit down and just talk about, you know, shithead Marines. And we'd sit there and say, hey man, this shit's happening with my life, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like, they would say, oh, man, this sucks. And, hey, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Hey, try to use it. You know, like, just we just kind of troubleshoot things together to try to find out uh, a way of going about it. And even more so, it's kind of a way to watch your six as well because other people are privy to the situation at hand. So that way, if it does get escalated, you know, you have some other people on your side that will help you through that situation. But depending on other people, in their opinion and embracing their opinion is always going to help you go through different types of situations. Because one thing that, and this is going back on that defeated type thing is one thing that really does make you feel defeated as a, as a leader is when you have a Marine that's not coachable, that's, that's unleadable, that thinks that they're above the law and that they can do whatever they want. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's their staff and seals at the head because in order for those staff and seals to control that Marine, they gassed them up and made them seem like they were better than what they really were. And that's where it comes down to is, is depending on other people that are going to help you become successful. And that resiliency comes along with it as well. Now, another example is, is as you progress in the Marine Corps and you become more senior, a lot of people perceive like, hey, staff and CEOs don't do anything. They just sit around, bark orders, and they do that. But there is a ton of work that gets piled up on us as individuals inside of there because we're the ones that are trusted and dependent on to complete certain tasks and to make sure that they come to fruition. So the tasks and the, the workload always builds up for a lot of us, and it gets delegated down, but then who has to supervise that through the process of being completed? And that's going to be on those individual staff and COs. But it's not always necessarily, you know, just work and all that other type stuff. I, even a, a a lame way of saying it is when I was at the Staff and CO Academy, uh, the workload didn't come from, you know, tasks that came up. It, it came through all the assignments that we had assigned these individuals that all came in. And, you know, when I was there pretty much the whole time, we had six faculty advisors with 120 students, which broke down to 20 students per person. Now, each one of those individual students has to write, you know, different essays that could range from 1,500 words all the way up to about 5,000 at some points. So those essays, they go there, they got these other homework assignments that they get turned in, and, 
you know, it just becomes a lot compiled up. And that's when we start leaning on each other because, one, when you get in there and you start grading these different uh, these different assignments, you want them to all be pretty consistent across the board. And, and one way for us to do that is meeting up with the other people and having that dialogue with the fellow uh, people that we work with to make sure that, one, we're all on the same page, and, two, that we're not duplicating work, we're not doing extra things that are going to create more uh, work for us or the students. So we go through and we do that portion of it. But as 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 like my initial story with the with the uh, with the hike, you know, you go through these different situations in life where you know it's the 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 suck faster the the suck factor starts building up, and then eventually life is going to happen. You know, they're going to have some type of life event. And it could be something great like, you know, a child being born. Or it could be a death in the family. Or, you know, some type of thing that goes on that takes somebody out of the fight. And those things never happen at the most opportune point. And that's, you know, when I was at the academy, we had, you know, a few times where uh, other faculty advisors would be in the middle of the, 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 the schedule and something bad happens or something good happens in their life. And they're not going to be available for a certain period of time. Now that all that workload just doesn't cease to exist at that point, And we have other people that need to start picking up the slack on certain things. Not saying that that person is not dependable. It's just things happen to certain people. So when we reach that, that mud type thing, you know, like, how are we going to deal with it? Now, the best way to deal with it is to, to depend on other people. Because when those bad things happen or those good things happen, you know, that individual could try to build more stress on their life and, and try to say, hey, you know what, it doesn't bother me. I'm just going to sit here and, 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 and deal with these assignments and all the personal stuff that I have is, is off to the side. I'm not going to deal with that stuff because I have work type stuff, which isn't the answer because that's just going to create unnecessary stress for that individual. And although it's them being resilient and it's it's them accomplishing the mission and it's them you know dominating the battlefield in a sense it's things that could be avoided by just looking at the person to the right and your left and saying hey can you do these things for me so that way i could deal with this situation can you help me out with these and you know we take those 20 different essays that need to be graded because the one faculty advisor is out and we you know divvy it up amongst the you know the remainder of us and we start carrying the workload together but when it comes to embracing the suck, a huge factor of that is doing it with other people. Because there's not going to be any time in this world, unless it's, unless it's self-inflicted, that you're going to have to deal with stressors by yourself. Let me say that one more time. There's never anything in your life, while you're in the military or even outside the military, where you're going to have to deal with it by yourself. Unless it's self-inflicted and you try to keep it inside and you don't try to expand on it to any type of thing. So if you if you depend on other people, whether it's through conversation to alleviate some stress or it's to help share some of the workload that gets piled up on you, you know, doing that type of thing is always going to help with taking those 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 shitty times in life and making them so that they're a little bit more tolerable. And just because you depend on other people doesn't make you less resilient and doesn't make you weaker. What it does do is it is it gives the, those opportunity or gives that opportunity for those people to help one another person 
And then eventually you're going to be in that position too where you're going to be able to reciprocate that with somebody else. Because it does feel good to help other people, but even more though, or even more so, feels good knowing that you have people by your side that you can depend on that are going to help you out no matter what happens in your life. And that's essentially where I wanted to go with with embracing the suck is, is you're going to have different things that happen in your life. And the way that you deal with it is maintaining that positive mental attitude. Always knowing that 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 tough times are going to end and things are going to get better. Doing things that are going to make you feel uncomfortable, that are going to help build your resiliency. And then depending on other people that are around you to help with those 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 bad times in your life, embrace it, those those sucky things in your life that are really going to enhance your life and to, to relieve some of the stress that you're going to have to deal with. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, one of your fellow Marines or sailor or airmen or whatever. It could be a chaplain. It could be a wife. It could be your kids. It could be anybody. But you know that you're not going to ever do things by yourself. And if you do feel like you're by yourself, it's likely that it's self-inflicted. Because trust me when I say this, you could always go to any person in this establishment or even outside this establishment, that's either through uh, religious ministries, it could be through some type of counseling type aspect of it, uh, it could be just a fellow Marine that's out there, or, or, or anybody that's going to be able to talk with you through the situation and, and try to assist you as much as possible. Now, if you're in some huge financial burden, you know, obviously there's, you know, people can only do so much for you. But doing those three things of positive mental attitude, doing things that are going to build res re resiliency in your life and having people in your circle and depending on others to be able to help you out are going to help you embrace the suck and to demolish anything that gets in your way. And that's essentially where we're going with this. So in order to grow, you're going to have to get through tough times. And doing those, all those things will help you stay positive and to really mash on the, on the, on the gas pedal when, when times get tough and to be successful and to help those around you as well whenever it's your turn. This concludes Embrace the Suck with your boy Cody on the Little Yellow Birdie Podcast. A new day, broken crown away. Today's a new day, you broken crown away.